that I haven't met. Uh, my name is Susan Lamarca. I'm um, to welcome you today to Kew Primary School for the third of our reading forums for 2018. Uh, Ruth, who is hovering up the back there, is our lovely host. So please do say thank you to her. It's really lovely of her to make her library available to us. Now, we have an action-packed program. We have a, our panel first, and then we have two wonderful authors to speak to us, and we will wind up the afternoon with the Kids Bookshop for the last... 10 minutes, but as those of you that have been to the forums before will know, the whole point of this is to try and cover a whole lot of really good stuff in a very short amount of time. So we will try and stick to our schedule, and that is to begin at five um, with our panel. So it is my distinct pleasure um, to welcome Anne Wiskin, Maria Satori and Carmel Byrne, who are our panel on genrefication this afternoon. And I'm sure many of you will be very familiar with, uh, particularly Anne, um, I know the other ladies have been very... Um, vocal as well, but talking on this area of genreification, and because of that we've asked Anne to facilitate this panel discussion, and we've given them a very tight half an hour. So I'll stop talking, and if you'll join me in welcoming them. Over to you, Anne. Thank you. Um, I'm going to begin by saying I think we're all convinced about what we're doing, and about our libraries as being learning spaces rather than repositories. So. With that as our, as our main idea, um, I do like to refer to the PISA results, which unsurprisingly say um, those children who do best in reading results are those children who read a lot. So then you say, what, um, what brings children to read more? And it's, it's engagement. And for me, genrefication is a big factor in engaging students um, and children in the ownership which gives them greater enjoyment of reading and which then um, leads them to read more. I'm also um, inspired by the idea that um, reading fiction and following through uh, narrative produces positive feelings and at Keary we're very much about um, positive learning. So activities which encourage positive attitudes and positive feelings, um, I think that's a big thing to refer to. When we're talking to stakeholders about um, the importance of reading and um, supporting libraries. So if, if reading is the thing that we want students to do more of, and with, if learning with fiction is something we want to do more of, is that, if that's our learning intention, how do we then organise our programs and our collections for that learning intention? Each of us have decided for various reasons to uh, genrefy or collectionise our particular resources. So we're going to take you through the journey firstly about why each of us did that and then we're going to do the how. So there'll be a lot of up and down as we, um, as we engage with each of these. I would just um, top it by looking at the pedagogical ideas which inform the learning intentions about the learning that happens in our spaces. And these are the ones that um, have always inspired me and currently do as well. The idea that we bring particular attitudes to the learning that takes place in our spaces. So we have Vygotsky and his ZPD ideas, um, Thornburg, um, looking at how we have campfires and caves and mountain tops and watering holes bringing that into our spaces, that sort of thinking. Uh, Christine Bruce is somebody that I'm always following closely and she always says, what is the learning intention and what are the resources, um, what are the space arrangement, what is the technology that enables that best to happen? So whenever somebody says, oh, there's this great new app, you need to say, okay, so if we're going to use this app or this technology, how does that make the learning better? And I think that brings a really good way of approaching things. Plus, um, Lynn Hay, whose Eye Centre ideas and also her curation of digital spaces. Again, Lynn says, first you define the function, the learning function, and then you design the form that meets that particular function. So I like to think as libraries, as um, learning spaces, and our collections as providing learning experiences. So within that, the way that the collection is organised and arranged can influence the learning experience that takes place there. 
And also the idea of remembering that our students are physical beings as well as intellectual and intelligent and emotional beings. So making sure that we provide good physical environments as well as all of the, um, all of the thinking materials that we provide. And also thinking of ourselves as mediators and as curators. And I particularly like the curating idea. That is that we have our resources, but we put them together in particular arrangements to provide for the learning that we want to happen. And that can be quite a dynamic thing. So it isn't ever just static. It is what, what does the curriculum say and how do we organise to provide for that. So with that as our overarching idea, looking now at the why of genrefication and coming back to that function. So what is that learning that we want to take place? And I'll provide more for this, but you'll see that I've given you um, a summary there um, of our ideas, which you can refer to at the end. But it's the, how do we explicitly teach and provide experiences of silent and sustained immersion? How do we guide the development? How do we enable individual and shared reflection? And how do we provide for creative responses to literature? And so in that, for me, the genrefication is done to help achieve those intentions. And again, with um, non-fiction resources, how do we arrange them so that we can uh, best enable the learning with non-fiction that we want to happen? <coughs> so if that's my why, I'm looking then at how we pick up ideas from maybe bookstores and museums about curating and organising. We walk into a bookstore, we know that there has been <coughs> research conducted to inform the bookstore about the way their collections and their resources are arranged. How do you stack books in a particular way out the front? What is it that you're going to promote? Do you stack books, you know, the, the idea of a lot of titles all stacked up to really give an impact, um, putting books face out that we're increasingly moving to. And then that idea of, um, of curation. And my last point about um, the why is if our learning intention is to provide students with experiences in which they engage with an increasingly broad range of genres which are at um, increasing complexity of ideas and language, then to me the obvious thing to do is to arrange our collections to provide for that so they can do the physical browsing that gives them the confidence and the independence to do so. And in regard to ourselves, again, thinking of ourselves as the intermediaries, how are we going to best uh, support our students to engage with these different genres and in different ways? Our next person for the why is um, Maria from Taylor's Hill Primary School. Welcome, Maria. Thank you. Um, <coughs> hello everybody, we're from Taylor's Hill Primary School and we are a primary school of 840 students in the northwestern suburbs and have 34 classes come through our learning centre each week and they are timetabled for 30 minutes each. Uh, during that time students are expected to come in, return their books into the chute and the classroom teacher reads them a book for about 10 minutes. Then they have approximately 15 minutes to browse and borrow and line up. Uh, Anne and I, um, as we've got teachers, we, we do teach, speak to the children about our library process and expectations in the learning centre. So as you can see, we actually have limited time with our students uh, when they come in. So we had to look at what tool was available so that students are able to make a decision in a, in a short amount of time. And genrefication seemed to be um, a good way to go. And so we started our research late last year. I visited a couple of schools to see what they were doing. Um, I had a look at the Austel Net Forum. There was a lot of discussion on there. And from there we made our decision about whether to go bookshop style or alpha author style, or a bit of both. Um, we decided not to um, genreify the non-fiction 
section any further than the Dewey classification, which is all already um, abbreviated for primary school. But what we did do was uh, get another 20 index boxes to split it um, further, and we have our prep to two um, non-fiction um, tubs to make it easier, because the actual physicality of non-fiction books is actually difficult for the little ones to manipulate in a shelf. So that was the reasoning there. But then we decided that it would be our fiction chapter book area that we would genreify, and we've worked on that this year. We, our aim was to finish it by the end of term three, and we uh, have been on target. Um, the reason that we went, uh, we decided to go for the alpha author style rather than blocking it um, into humour or the different genres is because we already have boys and girls <laughs> that get stuck on uh, Kinney and Griffiths and um, Tom Gates books and so we didn't want those boys and those students that get stuck getting stuck in a genre because we felt that in primary school they're still developing their likes and their dislikes so we wanted to engage them further we wanted them to explore and we wanted to encourage independent decision making so we actually have um, the genres within the alpha author shelving and so on one shelf they can go to and, they, and then they say mrs Satori, all the all, all the windy kid books are gone i've got nothing to read and you say there's thousands of books let me show you and then i point to a shelf and say, on this shelf, we have historical fiction, humour, sport, family, adventure, um, friendship, humour, humour, humour. There's lots on each shelf. Have a look and see and try something else. So we actually wanted to encourage ex exploration. And like, um, and I'm sure that like us, many of you would have beautifully written books on trend, current that you've bought over the last few years because we found them while we're doing the genre process on the shelf oh i bought this a couple of years ago have anyone borrowed it but why because they haven't explored enough even though we're constantly introducing new books constantly pushing the teachers to push these books and but students because they've got that limited time a lot of them go for the comfort food they go for the familiar rather than taking that risk and we feel that having our genres spread and labelled, and we're getting a, um, a customised poster from Cyber Science uh, because the current sign has westerns on it. We have not one western, um, so we just wanted to encourage that uh, exploration. Um, yeah, and 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 that's basically it for why um, to spread interest across our collection, and we're just using it as a tool. We may change it further on, but this is what we're doing for now. Okay, thank you, Maria. And moving on now to Carmel from uh, Beacon Hill. <coughs> um, good afternoon, everyone. Um, I'm from Beacon Hills. We're a prep to year 12 school on two campuses. Um, we've got a campus in Pakenham of 1,500 students, and we've got a campus where I am in Berwick with 1,500 as well, P to 12. We've already started, we started our genrefying process in 2014 and we finished uh, about 12 months ago. We've genrefied everything. So we've uh, put our non-fiction in collections as well. And we've done our fiction genrefying a little different to Maria. So we did all the labelling, the, put the genre stickers on, but we have got them all sitting together. So, you know, all the humour together. So we've got our junior fiction collection, all in genres, middle school fiction in genres, and then senior separate. We did have, um, we used our student voice in deciding on the naming of the genres. So, um, for example, you know, we've got adventure in junior and we've also got adventure in um, middle school, but in senior it's action. There was a lot of discussion about whether we were going to have love or relationships or romance. One of the senior boys said, let's call it romance, then I know to stay away from it. <laughs> so the, it was decided to go with relationships, so to make it a little bit harder. But um, our aim was um, to 
build the reading culture and to get more kids reading. Could we go back go to yep. um, the stats? So our junior school borrowing was already good. So our junior school was prepped to year four. It's incredible, and we only just finished about 12 months ago with um, John Refine Junior. But our middle school, year five to eight, is up 141%. And that's pretty amazing. Like, that, that's evidence for us that it works. Um, year seven borrowing, up 321%. Year eight borrowing, 398%. But we have also introduced a DEAR program in middle school, Drop Everything and Read. So it's really, we put these figures down to the DEAR program and uh, John Refine, and it worked really well together. Um, just go to the next slide. Uh, we find that John Refine makes the collection more attractive. It facilitates more independence in, for students making choices, and it makes it easier for the students to browse and find books that they might find interesting. And we can, we've started conducting surveys um, with particular year levels. At this point in time, we've only done it with our year fives and year sevens. But there's a lot of appreciation from students. And um, it's quite interesting to see the year sevens who were new this year, they show great appreciation. I think because for them it's very new, whereas the other kids have kind of, you know, grown up in middle school with genre. So for them, it's not quite so startling. Um, I think that's... That's the why. That's it. Yep. That's the okay. why for me. Thank you. So the how, we started out with uh, just doing a couple of genres to sort of put our toe in the water and got used to talking to each, uh, each other about it and how we negotiate about how we decide about the genres and what they'd be. And trying to um, trying very much to um, reflect what our audience had. St looking firstly at um, at nonfiction, um, it's pretty much it's still in Dewey order, but in the 900s we found that it worked well to um, divide it up. For example, when our students, the one I always give the example of is uh, middle ages. So middle ages, it really worked for us to have a collection on the shelf which had all of, the, um, all of the castles there from that area, the ones about weapons, the ones about black death, as well as um, dealing with the sort of the more historical treatment. So that's the way they use it. In the same way, um, we do ancient history via looking sort of more demographically um, ancient, ancient peoples. So that brought things in from different areas. And another one is the Cold War. So as you know, the Cold War is sort of um, you've got worldwide Cold War, and that's down in the 909s, but then you've got the Cold War um, classified in different countries. So we really wanted those all together in one place. So we've got a modern history collection. Um, Anne Parsons, who is um, just a superbly trained librarian, and she's got a, a very clear view on these things, and she said, no, no, you're not going to mess with Dewey. So we didn't mess with Dewey. We just put them into the collection, and we used the, um, we used the library catalogue to bring them together. We've got uh, different spine strips on there and then the catalogue um, tells them um, whereabouts it's located, whether it's a digital collection or whether it's a hard copy. And if it's hard copy, you'll see that, that in that example there, we've got the, um, the collection is modern history and then the, um, the shelf label puts it into its particular uh, Dewey category. And then the faceted navigation on the side where you can drill down to different areas of that. Um, our fiction collection, this is pretty much our, our fiction collection at present. I don't think we've expanded it from that one. This wouldn't suit everybody. This suits us and the way we work. Um, you can see that we also have relationships there like, um, like Carmel does. So we expect the students pretty much to read across these if they can. We have little competitions and sheets to help them do that. Um, and that's working really well because, you know, you've got 27 students and then you need to get them settled down and reading silently in 15 minutes, you hope. So how are you going to get them to choose those books quickly 
and I find now it's just so much easier. And okay, you like things which are a bit not real? Fine, here's fantasy, that's magic, here's science fiction, here's dystopian, you like that? And I can mm. put those ones there and the ones who've said not in a million years, then I can move them on to action adventure or relationships or something like that. So I've found um, you know, as a teacher librarian, I can work far more efficiently and quickly and get them to borrow something and, and settle down into it. And again, we can use the fiction collect, we can use the catalogue to bring the titles together. So um, we're lucky, we have a good enough budget whereby if we think, oh, actually, this book, well, it would go, it would go quite well in this area, but it might fall in that one and it might fall in that one. So we can just buy a copy, a couple of copies for each, and then the catalogue says, okay, you can't find one in that area, but it will be in this collection as well. So the catalogue works well, and the students, they know it. They picked it up so easily. Um, I'll just pass round these. Because we've got <laughs> our library, which is all over the place, um, we needed to produce... Um, we need to produce maps. I'll grab these off the walls as I ran out to grab them. And so we've got little maps around the library um, and also for the, for the non-fiction collection. Um, having, having found that something is in modern history or something is in classics, where the heck do you find that? So that helps them. So we've got our books in our genres um, wrapped around the walls because that's the way our library is organised. And you can see there also the um, wide reading room, so we have the books around the walls there as well. And that's a nice area and they love coming down into that area. Maria? The how. Uh, how to put the process in place. I spoke briefly about we looked at the, the bookshop style, the alpha author style, of combining both. So when visiting uh, a couple of schools, they were both doing the bookshop style, but both in a way that suited their their school. Like one had them in um, in order of genre, but not in alphabetical order. Um, whereas things were just shelved at the end each time, so you just have a, a section. And then the other had them in alpha author style, but within the genre. Um, we sort of debated about which way to go, but as I said, we, we did it our way so that we didn't have uh, children getting stuck. And also um, a matter of space and our shelving, um, how, how to spread the genres through the shelving. And we'd have like a, a huge amount of one genre with only a small amount of the other. And it, was, it looked like it was going to be a little impractical. What, what everybody chooses to do has to suit their own clientele and has to suit their own space and their own work habits or, or how you like to work. There is no right way. Um, so uh, so um, when we decided to uh, go for a genre, just as Anne said, we went for a few, a few at first and we were using skits to look up the main genre and just go, if there was more than one genre for a book, we were just going for the, for the top genre um, and putting the label on and as we went through we said oh actually we need this genre as well we have a lot of these and then we need this one and and just as um, Anne Carmel we looked at love and went mm, love uh, we'll call it friendship and uh, that, that suited, suited the primary school level um, so as I said they're still exploring and, and developing their likes and, and dislikes um, and so far it has been um, quite good the labels um, from cyber using those uh, I know that uh, a few on OSTLnet and another school I visited were making their own but um, even though we sacrificed a bit of book budget this year to, to go this way um, I think in the long run once they're done and then you're only doing the new books that come in it proved uh, beneficial because for us we, we have got limited time with all those classes coming in during the week so it um, it was uh, just at the same standard all the time and less time consuming. Um, I think that was about that was about all I was about to speak about. I think that what we've achieved is giving our students and staff an extra tool that encourages ex exploration and decision making and engage engagement. It 
Um, it has taken us two terms to get to the end of our fiction section, but our library is, is actually um, not that big yet where our school's only about eight years old and still growing and we'll develop it as we go along. We may make changes. I love the idea of buying a second book um, and I love that gear uh, idea as well. So plenty of ideas to, today to steal from everybody. Thanks, Bree. Carmel. Um, just to make things easy, when we were getting started, we decided that we would use um, the CyberSign labels. So there are limitations to that, but it's but it makes it a lot quicker. If you have to start inventing your own labels to do it, um, that that's even more work and um, <coughs> takes takes even longer. So. Um, for our junior fiction and middle school fiction, we use the labels from Cyber. For our senior school, we use coloured labels, so that match the signage. So say like contemporary, we put a, like a very dark aqua, you'll see later in a later slide, um, like a very dark aqua sticker to indicate contemporary. And then the contemporary signage, where the book is actually shelved, is that same dark aqua. Um, plus we have a label inside the book saying contemporary. So it sounds a bit complicated and a bit awkward, but it actually works, um, works very well. Um, so how we actually did it, the ordering of it, and this was like took, like we, we had to sort of make it up as we went along, but, um, and everyone will do it a little differently, but while the books were in their normal Dewey order, we went through and we put all the genre labels on. My tip is don't agonise. So we didn't go buying extra copies. Um, we put a sticker on and at, at times like another staff member or a student would say, you've got that there in that genre, it really shouldn't be there, it should be in this genre, that's fine, we just put, it's easy to change. You just put another sticker on and change it in the catalogue. So we created signage to mark the beginning and end of collections and we also put signage on the bay end. And at, on my last slide, there's, I've got a QR code. I'm happy to share all the signage that my team have created so that everyone doesn't have to uh, reinvent the wheel. Uh, we can go to the next one, thank you. Nonfiction. We started with um, a massive weed. And we're like, we go, the first time you do it, it kind of breaks your heart. You look at a book and you see, oh my God, we paid $240 for that. But it's just sitting there collecting dust. There's absolutely no point in having it there. You've just got, you've just got to make the hard uh, decision. And once you've got rid of a few thousand books, the next few thousand you get rid of is even easier than the first few thousand. You get, you get quite good at it. In terms of weeding, I would suggest with fiction that you don't, do much weeding at all in the beginning <coughs> because once it's especially if you're going to put it in collections like put all your humor together all your historical together and so forth because books that have so far remained largely undiscovered like a book that you know is a really good book and it might have only been borrowed once or twice in five years once it's there next to another book that the students are familiar with and like they're going to pick it up so we, like, we got rid of books that obviously were looking old and a bit uh, daggy when we were doing the uh, genre-fying in fiction, but we later weeded in fiction. Whereas non-fiction, I really think, if you're going to put all, if you're going to put them into collections and you don't weed first, it would take a very long time if you've got a, non, a big non-fiction uh, collection. So we put them in collections but then Dewey within the collection. So they're very easy to locate. Um, we put the coloured tag again. So like, um, for example, all our science has got a yellow tag on it. The signage for science is yellow. So it makes it very easy to, for shelving. And we also put labels inside. Um, we've used our shelving to create learning nooks and the kids really love that. Junior nonfiction, we've left in Dewey order, but we've put lots of signage up to make it easier for kids to find the dinosaur books mm -hmm. and the pet books and so forth. Um, and then the next 
concrete here. Almost done. Okay, this is an example of the signage. So these labels work really well inside the cover. So it's got what collection it's in, it's got the Dewey number, and it's also got the, um, the label on the spine with the Dewey, the Dewey there. And then if you look at something like uh, Leah on the offbeat, we put, you know, the number it is in the series. That also goes on the spine label. So it just leads to greater independence. Um, and all this, I've got, if you use that QR code, it takes you to um, a Google folder. And we can perhaps share that later if you'd like. You're very, you're very, like, you can share it as widely as you want. We as could email like. it out to everybody if that's something. Yeah, that's you're very welcome. So thank you. <laughs> So we've, um, I've summarised what I thought were the main points from each of our presentations, which is on um, a sheet that I've handed out. I've also handed out my summary of um, Kevin Hanna's, Hanna's presentation at the SLAB conference a couple of weeks ago because I thought there were some really good points there about how we present and promote our collections and advocate, and genrefication is part of that. Do we have time for any questions? Well, I think it'd be great to get a couple because we've yeah. got some prizes on we actually have prizes for good questions. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I've got the one question. How did, what did you do when you got rid of all the books, Carmel? Where did you oh, we, we, had a, um, we have a number of books. Some of them need to be put in recycling, really, really and truly. We, we, had, we've had, we have regular book sales where we sell all books for a dollar each and the money goes to the Indigenous Literacy Foundation. So people like to support that as well. I find it, I'm, I'm finding it a little frustrating that people are wanting to take our non-fiction and ship them overseas to the, you know, the poor in other countries. I, I, I find that You're happy hard. just to like, give those prizes? For me, like to give a Ruth a prize and someone else a prize? If it's too daggy, too daggy, why would you give it to anyone else? If you want to be respectful. That, that's my own personal feeling. But having said that, people have come and taken some of our stuff and shifted off, but that's their, that's their choice. I'm just wondering, um, have there been any disadvantages or any unexpected consequences that you've encountered? No, no but we, we did have one of our uh, special needs boys have a bit of a meltdown about the genre because it, he wasn't where he, where he believed sure. it would be. And sort of we just adapted and said, okay, that's a mistake, we'll change that. Yeah. We're, it's a, very so particular. Yeah. We've only had positive feedback. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's like um, the headmaster, he does a, a tour every Monday morning with um, prospective families. Mm -hmm. And he, I think he used to feel a little embarrassed in the library. Um, and he cer it certainly wasn't one of his favorite places. Now he loves it, and he just he says like it's like a bookshop, and that's why our you know our reading has gone way up. Our NAPLAN results have gone. There's been a significant improvement in our NAPLAN results as well. Okay. Mm -hmm. okay. Mm -hmm. Yes, if you could join us. Oh, oh hold on. Oh, we've got more hands up, have we? Mm -hmm. well, we got quick question, quick. I suppose. What do you think, Anne? Yep. Two more. Yeah, yeah two more. Yeah. This way. Um, with the um, or the humour. Do you find that kids are walking out with three or four books on Captain Underpants, Andy Griffith, and all of it is just, you know, kind of that um, sort of humorous literature, which is probably not great for their other mm. expanding their vocabulary? We, we, keep, we keep track of um, each student's reading. Yeah. So we. Um, we, we might have, like for year eight, a, a sheet divided up into genres and they write their titles in those and we talk about them. So we look and if that's going in, in a particular genre direction, then we can say, well, that's fine, you've, you've done that. And look, you can borrow all those three out, but you do need to borrow these others as well. Mm. And yep. we, we actually, uh, if they come up with, say, two things or two, say, we, you can have one, but you need to borrow something else. And then uh, on a couple of students, we've actually got an alert 
who miss the literacy bucks. I think it's so important. And what you guys do, I know, you deserve medals. Um, yeah, when I first got the thing from um, Suzanne, I didn't have my glasses on, I thought it said gender, gentrification. I thought, this thing's, this thing's going way too fast for me. So anyway, but I, I noticed, I think it was Neil Simon died last week, and, they, and, one, and there was an interview with him, and they said, why do you write? Why are you doing this? And he just said, to get the words out. And that's like, that's exactly what I do. And some of my words are serious. And some of them, as the guy from 3CR said, go beyond silly. And um, both I really enjoy. And I'll just go quickly through them. They're both Alan and Unwin books. I had this idea about a lost hour and a soldier. And I didn't forget what the idea was. But I was talking to Eva from Alan Unwin. She said, oh, have you ever thought of doing something on one minute silence? And I actually, I, I you know what, one minute silence, and you know, my dad was in the Air Force and my grandfather was on the Western Front. And, and if you're at the footy where there's 90,000 people, it's, it's a really amazing thing. So I said, I would love to do that. And, um, and I really, it quickly came to me, like just walking my dog, I, you know, what, it's all about what we can imagine. And as Australians, we kind of had an idea of what we can imagine our fathers predominantly went through and grandfathers. You can imagine it. But... I then wanted to take it a step further because I think the only war that I know of that has brought two countries close together was the Gallipoli War where we fought the Turks. And because we got this um, poem, which you might not be familiar with, by Kemal Ataturk, who was the commander of the Turks, which I'll read, but he then went on to be their first president, I think. And he's it's one of the best speeches ever written. So I, I wanted to just go, well, I can imagine, like, what a little bit what, what our guys went through, but... It was an invasion, and um, we did fight the Turks, and they, it was their, their country, and it's kind of obvious. So they, they got, found Michael Camilleri, who's a real super artist from Brunswick, and to go through it quickly, he borrowed his wife, teaches at a Steiner school, or a Stoner school, as some people call it. <laughs> and so he, he borrowed all the kids, and we started to um, tell this story, and he, he's just a great guy. He'd still be working on this if he wasn't told to stop. So he used those kids as, as the Australians. And I'll just read like one page. So it says, in one minute silence. I probably should put my glasses on since I've paid for them. 
You can imagine the grinding in your guts as the iron bark bows of the Australian boats bumped the stony shore of Gallipoli on the 25th of April 1915, when 12,000 wild colonial boys dashed across the shivering turkey sand in the pale light of a dairy farmer's dawn, lashed with flying lead. And then the other cyclers. But can you imagine in one minute's silence, lines of young Turkish soldiers from distant villages, hearts hammering, standing shoulder to shoulder in trenches cut like wounds, firing on the strangers wading through the shallows, intenting, intent on streaming into the homeland of the Turkish people. So it was kind of those two cycles, and Michael just went to town on it. He just couldn't be stopped. He was just did a brilliant um, job. So he used the students, and but it's really quite confronting. It's, it's kind of like loss of memory when you get killed. Um, it's time, and the more I look at it, the more I see in it. It's just such a, his work is absolutely amazing. This is, you know, like the detail of like the shells and what they do to people. And um, the pictures of the, the students, and it's, it's just an amazing thing. But I also read a great story about a Turkish guy who, who walked 300 miles to get into the battle. And he, he stayed there for nine months and, he, you know, there were some horrendous battles. We won numerically by like 10 to 1. We killed like 100,000 Turks or something. And then after a while, he'd seen it, you know, he'd seen, he'd seen enough and he went home. He just deserted. He went back. And then like 30 years later, he thought, I haven't really done anything in my whole life. Um, so he's starting to leave this village. He goes, oh, those Australians seem quite nice. So he came and lived here for the rest of his life. So, you know, we do, the Turks and us have this great, Bond. And I, I look, I, I will take one minute to read this Kamal Ataturk thing, because it is unbelievable. And I think, yes, he gave this speech in 1934, and he had commanded the troops. His own. Those heroes that shed their blood and lost their lives, you are now lying in the soil of a friendly country, therefore rest in peace. There is no difference between the Johnnies, that was us, and the Mehmets to us where they lie side by side, <coughs> here in this country of ours. You, the mothers, who sent their sons from far, far away countries, wipe away your tears. Your sons are now lying in the bosom and are in peace. After having lost their lives on this land, they have become our sons as well. It is just an insane thing to say, and I think we need more kind of visionaries like that. But Michael just did such a great job, and um, you know he did it with fine liners. At one point, I read a, um, a nurse who was one of the hospital ships, and she said we could hear the flies even when the ships were a mile out to sea. You know, it was 40 degrees and there were 10,000 dead bodies. They did have a truce and they buried them. So that is a really, that's a really serious book, which um, I just thank Michael for every time I look at it. I, the work he put into it is unbelievable. And then on the flip side, <clears throat> speaking of um, Diary of a Wimpy Kid, I was reading a review, uh, an interview, and the author said, my, my life just gets stranger every day. <coughs> and I thought that was an amazing idea. And I was actually sitting in a psychologist's office, and I won't go into that, but, and, I, the, you know, and I'm really in, caught up with this, of young kids getting stressed. And I thought, I'm going to write this, and I'd finished a book on Vietnam, so I was a bit stressed myself, so I thought, I'm going to write the most escapist, book where things get stranger every day it's going to be it's going to be off the leash and I based it on a school that I visited a few times a little bit but it's so exaggerated and I just came up with it with George Parker my who's the straightest most conservative scientific uh woolen bather wearing he's into <laughs> dental hygiene he's he's the straightest kid you could ever meet and he goes to get his hair cut <coughs> And the hairdresser, halfway through, when, the, when he's, he's got really long, straggly hair, but then when he was getting a cut over the summer holidays, the hairdressing, the waxing department caught on fire and he's left with half a haircut. And <laughs> this kid, Chase Landon Bond, sees him. And I've seen golden children like Chase Landon Bond and his father runs a hedge fund. He's worth half a billion dollars, which, which he loses. But they become friends. And I'll read a bit. So they go on this worldwide adventure, there's private jets. And what, part of the idea is... is that his father's lost all the money and there are people coming after George and Chase who are on a private jet. They go to New York to rescue Chase's sister who's in a psychiatric hospital um, <clears throat> after a, an ice skating accident. <laughs> um, 
It was a seven-star wilderness lodge. <laughs> anyway, so they're going to, and it's lots of disguises, and it's, it's, it's off its face. And George is the main driving character. So they're going to go and rescue Isabel. So they're going in disguised as Boy Scouts doing a good deed. <clears throat> and of course, Chase is really cool and he's really chill. And George is, George is kind of oblivious, but he's one of the most beautiful characters, I think. And um, so Chase says to George, we'll need something for our, you know, a good deed when we go to this hospital to sneak in, you know. Perhaps we should take some flowers or some fruit from the kitchen. What about that box of cigars in the lounge? The flowers have wilted, the bananas are soft, and cigars would be a dead giveaway because I would think the inter... This is George's, the narrator. I would think the International Scouting Movement is a non-smoking organisation with the obvious exception of campfires, as long as they live under the supervision of a person with a campfire safety merit badge, a level one or two certificate in fire extinguisher handling and reasonable eyesight. Give me 30 minutes to say, I've got an idea, or two actually. I quickly made up a pair of rather entertaining little booklets. One I filled with hilarious GPNGRPJs, George Parker, no parental regardless required jokes. The other contains a selection of toe-tapping bush tunes and catchy sea songs from yesteryear that appeal to people of all ages who appreciate skill-based lyrics coupled with the rhythms that even the non-musical enjoy. Which do you want, Chase? I hold up the booklets. The George Parker Very Hilarious Joke Book or the George Parker Cheerful Sing-Along Songster Companion. Both will undoubtedly prove useful, educational and entertaining. Chase seems amused, although he hasn't looked at either book. Give me an example, he says, of a hilarious George Parker joke. Well, this is easy. All my jokes are pressure tested on my chums down at the Tapley Chargers Chess Club, and it's no exaggeration to say that if you can get a chuckle from the chaps at the Chargers, then normal people will probably be two, three, or four times as amused. So here goes with a George Parker hilarious joke. I clear my throat. Oh boy, this one's an absolute killer. Chase, what do you call a boomerang that won't come back? A stick, says Chase. Well, it could be that, I suppose, say, but, but my punchline is an aerodynamic boo-boo made with inappropriately shaped projectile res resulting in an annoying aeronautical afternoon for all concerned. I can't help but laugh, even if it is my own joke, with side-splitting George Parker aerospatial engineering modifications to keep it fresh. See? Hilarious. Chase is laughing so much he's crying. Oh, yes, hilarious, Georgie boy. Chase holds his ribs. You might possibly be the best kid in the world. Well, that's doubtful. Chase wipes his eyes and takes a steady breath. OK, we go in five. I estimate we'll be back in three hours, ready to leave the country with Isabel. Take this. Chase hands me a wad of money. We might have to buy our way out. Why wouldn't they just let us out of the hospital the way we came in, I ask? We're scouts performing a social service, not criminals breaking the law. I wouldn't bet on it. Chase tightens his wobble. We have to be prepared for any emergency. That's a scout thing. Speaking of emergency, I think as I take the money, I wouldn't mind purchasing a packet of peppermints, as peppermint naturally soothes the inner workings of a person's bowels. This is a fun medical fact not widely enough known or appreciated, especially by those who suffer from, let's say, certain challenges downstairs. Right, Georgie boy, Chase gives me a three-fingered salute. Let's hit the road to freedom in France. So it, it is off its face and, um, yeah, I'm not sure how to describe it, but it's, it's about money as well. It's about many things, but um, I'm, I'm kind of in love with George. It was an 80,000 word manuscript and I went to see the publishers and they said, I just cut 40,000 words out of it and let's see how we go from there, which I did. So, <laughs> so yeah, the serious... And the silly. Yes, you went from one end to the other there, Dave. That is, yeah. Thank yeah. you very much. That's I'm a sorry pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. I do realise we could have hours with all of these people. I, I am so sorry. And now for his 10 minutes, um, I'd like to introduce Michael Wagner. Um, now, I think we've got computers organised. We're excellent. Also local and award winning as an author, but also as a scriptwriter and a producer. Michael is going to share with us some insights into his latest feature book, I think. Why I love summer. Excellent. But well, we're just we changing. Oh, do you want us to get a copy for no, you? No, no, no. That's okay because okay. I think I've got a picture like. of it here. Excellent. I'm, why I love summer is the follow-up to Why I Love Footy, which came out a couple of years ago, which um, I I actually wrote in ten minutes, and but I, I it was ten minutes and a lifetime, definitely, because I'd spent ten years trying to get a picture book published, any picture book published. And at the same time, having many other books published, but I could not get a picture book 
uh, anything that I submitted as a picture book manuscript, I just couldn't get it published. And after 10 years of this, not because of this, but just because of my age, I experienced a midlife crisis as in my early 40s, as some people do. And at the same, now there were many options to consider a midlife crisis. There's Ferraris, changing my marriage, but I love my wife, I don't care about Ferraris. So I went for, I went for the third option, which was to reform my band that I had in my 20s. And um, we had to make the album we never made. We'd made some singles and an EP, we were on TV at times, but we never made an album. And so we got together and we made, we actually made an album. And in the making of that album, it finally dawned on me what I was doing wrong with my picture books. They weren't, picture books aren't stories to me, they're songs. And I realised in writing the songs for an album that what I needed to do was write songs as picture books. And songs are never narratives, almost never narratives. There's a few exceptions that are you know, brilliant. But mostly they're around a concept. They're usually around about love, but they're about an idea. So, and they're just looking at an idea from various angles. So that entered my mind that I, I don't need to be writing a little narrative, I need to write a song and make that my, picture, my next picture book. And that was one turning point. And then the other turning point was a little writing exercise I did for myself, which is a very simple exercise you might be interested in doing yourselves. I wrote down my 10 favourite stories of any genre, film, TV, books, whatever. I wrote them down and then I wrote down what they had in common. And the exercise is designed to make you know what you want to write about, not what you think you want to write about. Because sometimes our ego tells us we want to be this sort of writer, but in our heart, we're not that sort of writer at all. So this was a way of exposing what I actually cared about in the fiction that I um, consumed. So I wrote down this list of movies and books and TV shows and daggy things and embarrassing things that I wouldn't even say. And I realised that what I actually cared about was family values. That for all the silliness and all the humour and stuff that I try to explore, what I genuinely care about underneath a lot of it is actually the bonding between families. So I thought, okay, so I need to write a song that's a picture book about families. And so, and then in 10 minutes, I wrote Why I Love Footy, which just poured out because it was everything that I, it wasn't a narrative. It's got a little sense of a narrative. It's a day unfolding, but it's not a narrative in that there's action and tension. It's just a concept. Why this little guy loves going to the football. And the reason he loves to go to the football is because it's a family thing. So it's what they do as a family. And that's, once I found that that's what I needed to write about, it just came out very easily. And that's done well, well enough for us to decide to do Why I Love Summer. Same little family, um, but again, not a narrative, just what this guy loves about summer. And it's captured really in the final uh, thing. And I've got to say, Tom Jellop has excelled himself, I think, in the illustrations, particularly that illustration. And this, when you're reading this to groups, you can spend 10 minutes on this page alone. What's your favorite ice cream? The teachers are even get really animated. <laughs> it's like, you know, Bubble Bill, no, 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 Maxi Bomb. Um, and this illustration, when I stop on this illustration, I ask the kids what time of day it is. And then I ask them why they, how they know what time of day it is. And we talk about the light and the shadows. And then we talk about the fact that summer's twilights go much longer. That, it's, that it's, it takes a lot longer to get dark in summer. And why that might be. What was I getting to? Oh, yeah, the last line. And then, and so it's a celebration of everything to do with Australian summers. <clears throat> 
But this is the, the turning, this is what it's all about. But the best thing about summer, the number one thing of all, is that we're all together all the time. So, which it sort of even makes me emotional. Just, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I, I actually, it's weird, you know, While Love Footy, the least emotional book I have ever written in my life. And it brings grown men to tears <laughs> because of the sheer recognisability. But anyway, so, so that's probably all I need to talk about with that. And there's, I'll, I'll show you this as a little glimpse of 30 seconds. Look at this page. Look what happened to this page in the editorial process. Thanks to Michelle Madden at Penguin and um, the designer and Tom taking great instructions. That is the first draft of a, this page which then became this. We're commenting on that. Like, what is that? <laughs> like, just lines. And then it became that due to the instructions that were given. And look at this instruction. Could this one please be as multicultural as the scene before and after? And all they did to make it multicultural, not hard. We just, you just change a few of the, 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 the skin tones and you know, suddenly it's like a super inclusive. And then, you, you know, there's in, on the beach scene, there's someone in a wheelchair. So it's got, so it's much more diverse and very easily done <coughs> so that it includes everyone. So anyway, that's probably, I'll probably spend enough time. No, you did excellently well. Thank you. Thank you. It really is amazing how much you can get through in 10 minutes, isn't it? Wasn't that fantastic? You got a question? Just a quick well, we're setting up the technology, please. What was the name of the band? The band? We were called the Grown-ups. <laughs> <laughs> Which meant one thing in our 20s and something very different. <laughs> <laughs> the irony had disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Excellent. Now, to finish the afternoon, we have the Kids Bookshop with, I think, are we doing 10 books in 10 minutes? Yeah. They are. They're going to do 10 books in 10 minutes. And they have a little bit of technology to add as well. So I will hand over the crystal table. Yes. Excellent. Thank you. So the first one's the band. Um, it's not on our table, but it's orderable. It'll be a hardcover. Um, it's very um, moody and lyrical. Probably, um, it's quite dark in its imagery and possibly a bit spooky for the younger primary school kids. Um, talks about the story of a man-made dam. It's a true story as it engulfs a village and the power of music. Um, mid, uh, mid to upper primary, and I'll link to the teacher's notes in our newsletter on Monday. So I'd highly recommend this one for the classroom. The teacher's notes are really good, so they'll be in our newsletter. The next one, The Prince, the Witch, the Thief and the Bears. And this is so funny. It's hilarious. My four-year-old will tell you. We've tested it on the kinder kids and they laughed in all the right places. Um, so a really good read aloud for um, the lower, um, lower primary, so prep to grade two. Um, kind of subverts the traditional bedtime stories as Jamie derails his father's bedtime story. So a really nice one. Um, Natural Born Loser. I've got the review on our site, so I won't talk about it for long, but another really funny one. Great to drum up a bit of school spirit in grades five, or oh, probably four, five and six. A good classroom novel to read. And the last one, Inheritance. Highly, highly recommend this one for grades five to eight. We have the teacher's notes here tonight and we can't link to them online, something's gone wrong with the website. Um, it does, it tackles some atrocities from Australia's past, but in a really, a really good way. It's really important and I'd recommend it highly. Was that less than a minute? Well done. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the books on the, that aren't on the slide that I'll just quickly mention, this one, I don't know if you've seen this one. It's been curated by Ben Quilty, who we know and admire enormously. This is a very, very moving collection of illustrations by um, 
particularly in refugee children. Now, each illustration just has a line at the bottom explaining what the illustration is. I think it's something that we, you could use in, that, in, in a range of ages, really, and year levels, because you could either just talk about it at a very kind of super, superficial level in terms of, um, you know, the life of someone in a completely different situation, what home means, what, um, what it, how it works for children in a completely different environment. And at a more senior level, obviously, you could talk a lot more about what it means to be a refugee, how you come to be a refugee, um, and, and what, you know, a kind of very naive um, perspective is, and is, that is an illustration of a refugee child. Um, it's super moving, it's really very, very important, and I think one for every, every library. And I just wanted to mention this one because we, were, we had Robert Brew up in Castlemaine this week, and I've been reading these short stories. So for senior secondary, just terrific. I did say to Rob, I, I'm a little bit nervous that um, our next generation of writers are spending a lot of time looking down and not up, not observing what Rob Drew does so well is observe life and observe people and observe people in their environment. And in doing that, he writes about, he includes detail that you just go, of course, it's the palm trees on the board shorts that are hilarious or, you know, just those, that level of detail makes their stories really, really special. I'm a big Robert Drew fan. Um, some of these you might have seen. This one you may have seen in hardback before, but it's now in paperback, so cheaper. Um, that is a very moving um, story as well, graphic novel, um, from Owen Copper, who we know and love, um, and Andrew Duncan. Um, it's interspersed with the humour that we know of Owen Copper, though, too. So, although it's a, a topical story, it's an important story, it's hugely accessible, and it is um, something that a range of readers could, could find um, very accessible. Um, have you seen Sully Raphael out and about in the last week? So he was on the project last week. He w he's been doing interviews with ABC and a whole range of media. Um, he is a very, um, watch his face. He calls himself a game changer. He is a game changer. He's 13, he's Australia's national slam poet champion. At the age of 13, he has won it against adult slam poets. Um, he performed at the final ceremony of the um, Commonwealth Games. He's done a TED talk. He is articulate, obviously. He um, is a hugely motivated young man. He's very interesting. He's homeschooled at the moment by choice. Um, he's an only child. But he is a super genuine, and I think we're just going to hear more and more from Sully Raphael. There's, this is a collection of his poems, um, really important. All of them are hugely topical. His message is about um, taking time to be a game changer in terms of the environment, in terms of politics, in terms of what's important to you. So he is going to be an incredible role model for, for young readers. But really, you could use that at upper primary and lower secondary, middle to upper primary and lower secondary. I see that Ruth has given me four out of five on her review of the board over there. This is Morris's new book. You've probably all seen this by now. If you, if you haven't, we've got samples to give. I mean, there's books for sale, but there's samples to take away um, to give to your readers if you like too. Um, of course, this is hugely topical right now, um, and a great springboard for discussion about what on earth is going on in Canberra, and how you make sense of. Um, who you hold up as role models who aren't actually who they say they are. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So um, his father's, um, the main protagonist's father is, is elected to uh, federal parliament and he sees it as an opportunity, the son sees it as an opportunity to make change and be a game changer, but in fact what he finds is that people um, aren't very truthful or honest. And so in, in that typical Morris style, there's lots, plenty of humour, um, but there's a really important message there as well. Fine, of course, for upper primary, like Mar all Morris's stuff, middle to upper primary, but you know could also be used because of that topic 
uh, at Lowell Secondary as well. High five to the boys. Beautiful end papers. A fantastic collection of really amazing um, men, Australian men. A really diverse collection uh, anthology in terms of who they've included, people from the, men from the arts, men from sports, men from um, sort of literary backgrounds, music, you name it. They are, they've been included. There's a range of different illustrators as well, um, just to keep it interesting and accessible. Just bite-sized profiles, perfect to dip in and out of, and it's the companion to shout out for the girls. Mm -hmm. So it was really, um, I mean, I know that there's stories for boys who are going to be different out there. There's all sorts of things um, coming, but I feel like this is just a really nice Australian version of that um, uh, shout out to the girls and good night stories for rebel girls. So don't miss that one too. That's it from me. That's who Crystal Shop is. <laughs> and um, I've put postcards on the table. Very quickly, thank you all for coming. We will have our last reading forum on November 1st at the Dream Factory in Footscray. If any of you would like to join us, we'd love to see you there. And we, I think we will have more reading forums next year. So there will be another series of these. So thank you for supporting them. Um, we've only gone a few minutes over time, but if you did want to have a quick look at the bookshop before you leave, you're very welcome. Thank you very much. I'll make sure you get all those links too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.